All right. So this podcast, we will be talking about the election. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, hello, this is Thomas Cruz of SAE and Associates. Thanks for tuning in. We're back with another SAE Cares podcast as a follow up to our white paper that tackles the impact of COVID-19 and includes a proposal for service innovation. We're continuing to focus on the specific elements of the document during these podcasts. Uh, our last two podcasts tackle the impact of systems of care and integrated care during the pandemic. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Lone Mai, who will be discussing how care coordination addresses integrated care needs for complex care and the business model strengths. Dr. Mai is actually SAE's Director of Population Health Management. How are you doing, Dr. Mai? Hi there, Thomas. Thank you for having me today. Oh, absolutely. Now, before we get started, Dr. Mai, uh, <laughs> bear with me. I'm going to talk you up a bit. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Mai, as I mentioned, is the Director of Population Health Management at SAE. She's an experienced clinician and researcher in implementation science, organizational psychology, and program evaluation with a focus on disparity in care, quality outcome measures, and solutions for barriers to care. She's developed protocols and overseen implementation for integrated collaborative care for infectious diseases. That would come in handy at this time. <laughs> she, she has leveraged direct clinical and research experience for best practices and value-based care to develop guidance and implementation of meaningful use for electronic health data and administrative workflow to push for true integration of primary care with behavioral health. More recently, Dr. Mai has been involved in the area of physician wellness to address organizational needs regarding talent retention, compassion fatigue in the service industry, and provider resilience. How is that, Dr. Mai? <laughs> Am I feeling resilient today? <laughs> <laughs> we have to. We have to. I, mean, I, I think we all have to carry a bit of that every day, right? Absolutely. This year especially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yes, today we will not be speaking about the election. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's jump right into it, Dr. Mai. Uh, care coordination. In the white paper, we indicate that care coordination is a high revenue and sustaining service for provider organizations and for a variety of reasons, right? Um, mm -hmm. Ease of functioning in tandem with systems of care and integrated care, the two topics we covered in the last two podcasts. Dr. Mai, start by speaking to how care coordination serves the needs of integrated care for COVID-19. Let's start there. Sure. Um, I think one of the things we know, Thomas, at this point is in terms of the models of COVID-19 mortality, um, we understand that there are certain populations, um, whether demographically or in terms of disease complex, that are at higher risk. Um, and have suffered a greater burden mm -hmm. um, in terms of this pandemic. So what we need to do is take apart uh, what those risk factors are to be able to understand why integrated care is a necessity at this point. So for uh, models of COVID-19 mortality by race and ethnicity, what we know is that African-Americans have a disproportionately higher prevalence of certain comorbidities, including diabetes, hypertension, obesity, and coronary artery disease. We also know that those who suffer diabetes, hypertension, renal disease, and obesity, it increases a patient's risk for severe 
COVID outcome in terms of mortality. Mm. So if a certain population, for instance, such as the African-American community, experience higher chronic diseases, it makes sense for us to pay attention to that because they are higher risk. But in terms of uh, data as well, because data is important for us to understand um, so that we can get a handle on what needs to be done at this time because uh, the pandemic is not ending anytime soon. We need to be much more progressive and aggressive on this one. Mm-hmm. Right. So in terms of chronic diseases, uh, what we also know for certain conditions, there are uninsured rates for Americans in terms of insurance and access to care. And the access to care issue also helps us understand the impact of health inequality. So what that brings up is a whole social system that needs to be addressed in which COVID-19 very clearly highlights for us is that if we don't understand and address the disparity in care and the disparity that happens in this social system um, in terms of social justice and social access to care, um, we're not going to be able to be attuned to what the community needs and be able to be helpful with what needs to be done. Mm What we do know for disparity in care is that it is all impacting in terms of shaping an experience and an outcome. We understand that care coordination more recently in the last five to 10 years have been analyzed for quality outcome. We understand care coordination work well for cardiovascular. We understand care coordination works well for renal diseases. And um, it even works well for those in the impact model facing depression and cardiovascular, and now they're expanding to other chronic diseases. Mm. So it makes sense for us to be able to use a model of care that has shown quality outcome for a community that clearly needs this to support them through this pandemic, but also as providers to be effective in what we have promised to do, to take care of those who need it. Right. One of the things we've seen with COVID-19 in New York, and um, this is very dear to me because I started my work out about 30 years ago working in the kids' world. Mm -hmm. And something that, you know, has struck me and still sits with me and we need to all address as a nation. For instance, in New York alone, between March and July, and this was released, this data point was released by the United Hospital Fund is that in New York alone, in just those months, March and July, 4,200 children in New York State lost a parent due to COVID-19. Wow. Children were pushed into poverty or near poverty related to the status of income in their family. So what we know is that there are a lot of struggles, grief, and trauma out there, and that we need to make sure not just clinically that we're looking at this, but also in terms of the dynamics of how we interact with each other to take care of these children and these families in need. And so we know in terms of the philosophy of the system of care, which Fern has spoken to in the first podcast, clearly it works well for children. And clearly right now, children need that. And so do the families. We cannot fail these children. Well said. As a follow-up, in what ways does care coordination improve the financial and operational health of community providers? So what we know in terms of the success of care coordination, Thomas, is that it is impacting in terms of quality outcome. 
Mm-hmm. What we do know is that the successful management of patients with chronic conditions does require care coordination that is well coordinated between providers, patients, and the care team, which I believe Fern has spoken about well in the first podcast. In terms of system of care, care coordination fits well with what Fern was outlining. From the Institute of Medicine, care coordination has shown to be a potential strong improvement uh, model for effectiveness, safety, and efficacy for the health system. Higher survival rates, Mm. uh, fewer emergency department visits, and lower medication costs. In a health affairs policy brief that was published, um, it showed that the lack of care coordination actually costs and creates $25 to $45 billion in wasteful spending. So what we know for care coordination is that um, it is a strong evidence-based model. Mm. It fits well into what Fern was outlining previously for the system of care. It works well for disparity um, population who struggle with access to care in terms of caring through treatment protocols and treatment needs so that communication can be maintained with the care team. But in terms of organizational structure for providers, care coordination allow providers to work at their top um, credentialing abilities mm. so that you have activities that are defined and that they are doing uh, performing activities that allows higher reimbursements based upon their credentials. So that is a revenue strong activity. It also improves utilization management because you're able to track activity from one end to the other end and you're able to categorize certain activities under utilization management better. So in terms of medication adherence Mm -hmm. or um, education on side effects or even self-management activities. You're able to look to see what's being done and you're able to code it and you're able to track the outcome of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Care coordination also assists providers to uh, continue on the roadmap of value-based contracting with greater confidence, specifically if they're working with special populations at this time with uh, acute needs or complex needs. So for instance, uh, one of the concerns for COVID-19 are individuals who are homeless and marginally housed. So for instance, in a lot of urban environments, homeless individuals have not been allowed to stay out on the streets um, as they usually would or out on the transit system as they usually would. They've been switched into different sort of housing situations when possible. For instance, hotel rooms or shelters that are respecting and adhering to social distancing. So part of it is for a lot of homeless individuals who suffer chronic diseases, if they do have a respiratory incident uh, and they're diagnosed with asthma or COPD, for example, one of the concerns is for them to develop an infection. And if they're indeed seeing a primary care physician who is locked into value-based payment structure for COPD outcomes and and quality performance reviews, one of the things that the physician needs to know, uh, this is a homeless person who would not have access to refrigeration for antibiotics if they're prescribed something like amoxicillin. Mm. So in terms of social determinants of health, we need to be able to stay consistent in tying that in with value-based contracting and with care coordination activities. And so providers must be quite aware 
to social situations that our patients have to maneuver and engage in. Because if a homeless individual does not have refrigeration available to them, either because they have to leave the housing situation at eight in the morning, or if they're so minimally housed, there's no refrigeration at all. available to them. Obviously, that quality outcome will be quite poor, and Mm -hmm. they're at risk of developing full pneumonia, which will put them at further risk for COVID-19. So what we've also seen is care coordination is a very strong revenue activity. So for instance, in New York City, what we've seen, and this is so for a lot of um, providers that we have served in the eastern region of the U.S., is a high revenue driven, but also blend well with therapeutic activities that allow for wraparound services that have not been recognized previously. Patients were given medication and were instructed on it, but also given support on side effects and engagement with family on medication adherence. Mm -hmm. You know, those were natural conversations that providers have always offered. Sure. Right. But now with care coordination, it actually allows you to record it as a unit of service. It is now a billable service because it improves, helps you monitor outcomes and activities. So um, care coordination actually moves us forward as a clinical industry um, for best practices and being able to utilize a model that blends well with, for instance, a system of care approach. Mm and also allows, as uh, Dr. Rhonda Bose have spoken about in the last podcast, that allows a broad stream of providers to be able to tackle a situation. And I think what Rhonda spoke to quite well is that what we're seeing in COVID is not a singular issue. Mm-hmm. It is a societal issue. Mm-hmm. And it is not one that one provider can address. It does need collaboration. It does require systemic changes across the board to engage others in this care so that we can move in terms of health equality Mm -hmm. and what we know, the prevention agenda and healthy people agenda, to move that truly forward. And for the triple aim to address disparity in care in terms of minority population and bringing into the fold communities that have not been able to experience health equality in the full scope of what it is. And Dr. Mai, for people who don't know, can you just define what the triple aim is? Yes, sure. Um, The triple aim, you know, comes from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And um, it addresses three dimensions in care. One is improving the patient experience of care, Mm -hmm. a reference to the quality of care and their sense of satisfaction. Also, the triple aim focuses on improving the health of populations. And the third part of the triple aim is reducing the per capita cost of health care. Mm-hmm. So all of that makes sense for us in the field. Um, we understand it at the operational level. We understand it at the administrative level. And we understand in terms of cost burden and outcome. But what we know and what we've seen with COVID is that clearly it is not working. Because the mortality rate for COVID-19 among African-Americans is more than twofold of the general white population. What we've also seen is the Latinx population having a disproportionate 
burden of infection. Mm. So what we've seen also for indigenous populations in Arizona, for instance, um, Native American or indigenous population only make up 5.3% of the state population. Mm. However, they are showing up as 13% of cases and experience 18% of the COVID mortality death. Wow. Yeah, when we're speaking about the triple aim, it needs to shift and we need to be able to utilize the principles of it in a much more aware focus and lens in terms of health equality. Mm-hmm. One of the things for COVID-19 that we need to be quite honest about as providers is that there are stark disparities. It's one of the things that I believe Rhonda spoke to quite well. Mm-hmm. These disparities are systemic. And because it is systemic, it requires a collaboration across provider sets. Right. So essentially, the triple aim serves as kind of the foundation for principles. You don't want to lose those, but those are starting points. And you kind of have to adjust accordingly, depending on what's going on and really understanding the stark realities that are apparent systemically, right? Absolutely. The AAAM was developed in a very genuine way to address population health outcome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been several years. However, what we've seen as the AAAM in action is that it really also needs to address health equality and social justice. Sure. And you've been actually speaking to this throughout this podcast. For my final question, what have we learned about care coordination as an evidence-based practice for integrated care and for addressing these gaps in care that we're discussing. Fern and Rhonda spoke to this quite well. The system of care with care coordination allow providers to be part of a movement to make sure that risk populations don't drop off the map for their care. Mm. And what that means is being able to engage clients where they are with what they need to be able to personalize care for their risk needs. So for instance, populations, as we're speaking of, that have shown higher risk due to chronic diseases, but also populations of risk because of social determinants of health or populations because of um, their employment status and work requirements. So it is quite flexible in terms of being able to target population needs, tailored to social determinants of health. So care coordination as it fits into system of care and the ability to leverage expertise across provider sets is essential at this time for COVID. What we've also seen, for instance, with infectious disease, and I've worked with HIV for quite a while with those who are co-infected with hepatitis or those who are co-infected with TB. What we know in terms of infectious disease and um, care coordination is that it works. I've sat with patients when they need to take their INH pill for TB and to be able to record that adherence and to be able to engage them and activate their sense of self-management. We've also seen with HIV, which I've been very active in early on in the 80s, mm-hmm. is that when you sit with someone, help them understand the risk of their disease and the risk in certain behaviors, then they're able to make certain decisions for themselves and be able to manage that much more clearly with what their goals and quality of life issues are. So what we've seen for care coordination is that it does reduce overall costs by 17%. 
it reduces hospital admission by almost 19 percent. And it assists providers in terms of financial awards with shared saving programs. It's important to keep us moving forward. And one of the things in terms of disruptions in care is that we can choose to innovate with what we know works best and be forward thinking in this to really take care of those who we have made an oath to serve. So care coordination in that way, it allows us to work across streams. Mm -hmm. It allows us to move the industry forward in terms of quality outcome, but also it forces us to sit back for a second and think about and contextualize the person that we're helping to better understand them, their life situation, and to address the systemic issues that create barriers for them just because of who they are. Sure. Dr. Mai, I think you're great in really covering care coordination and talking about how it addresses integrated care and the business model strengths of this. So thanks so much. Thank you, Thomas. You always make this a welcoming discussion. I try. I try. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, on that note, that concludes the podcast for today. If you have not yet signed up to receive our e-blasts, the link will be in the description. You can sign up and you'll get our issue briefs, podcasts, news and notes, webinars, updates in the behavioral health field straight to your email inbox. The link will be in the description. All right. Till next time. Take care. Take care.